I was trying to subdue and protect myself from this person who was trying to subdue me and um, or I was trying to rather protect myself and the and I didn't know should I run after the kids what what do I do and so it was just a horrible moment my son my oldest son who was 10 at the time went to the kitchen and got a knife Hey everyone, it's Mary with the Restory Show, and today I have on with me the most awesome person, Susie Mae Warren, and she is uh, a spitfire, amazing, um, outgoing person, and I love her so much. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Susie. Oh, Mary, this is so fun. I'm so excited to be here today. This is going to be such a fun conversation. I love hanging out with you, so this is going to be great. (laughs) And the fun thing about this, and we've said the word fun like 12 times already, but uh, (laughs) is that we are actually recording this live with each other in the same room. I'm not doing it across Skype, so it's even better because she lives in Minnesota and I live in Texas, so that's kind of a far away. It is. We definitely need to get together and do this more often. This is awesome. We have our coffee. (laughs) We had our little donut. Nuts. We're all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So uh, what story do you want to share with the Restory listeners today? I know we talked just a little bit about it beforehand, but I'm curious what you'll share. Well, you know, I always feel like we have big stories in our lives that are huge turning points in our lives that that God uses to sort of turn us into the direction that we're supposed to go. And And I have a number of stories, but I I want to talk today about a story about something that happened to me back when we were missionaries in Russia. And it was something that um, God used to turn me both in our career, but also in my thinking about our life and my relationship with him and just a, a huge change of direction for me. So we were, like I said, we were missionaries in Russia and we had been there for about, we were in our second term. So we were there for eight, four years and then we took a year of furlough and then we were back. And, and how long had you been married when you first went on the field? Just- uh, we were had been married four years. So we were, have been married for about 14 years at this point. And we you had all your kids by now. Had all okay. kids. We had four kids, uh, ages 10, uh, 10, 9, 7, and 5. And uh, I was homeschooling. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say I live in Russia, I actually need to say I lived in Siberia, which is, I truly lived in Siberia. No. Yes. I could not do that. <laughs> well, it was chilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So, but you know, I grew up in Minnesota, so it was very normal for me mm. to live in the cold and oh, I was yeah, really used to it. That so makes sense. Yeah. It really wasn't that much I different. I could like so. go live in London because I grew up in Seattle, you know, See, the there gray you go. and the, the gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't do okay. that. But so I was used to trumping about in the snow. And you know, boat. and having my little Uggs on and the whole thing, so that, that was not a problem for me. The and and I knew Russian; we had learned the language, and so we were very comfortable there. And we were um, at that point going to be full time missionaries, so we had sold everything that we owned and moved to Russia. So our home was there. We had an apartment that we had um, purchased and remodeled, and we lived on the ninth floor of this apartment building, and had really settled into life there and planning to live there and, and be missionaries there for however long God had us there for. And um, so because of that, we'd also set it into our lifestyle there. And I was a I was a homeschooling mom. I also taught English as a second language. So we were very busy. And like I said, I was fluent. So I had finished language school at the time. So we had, like I said, settled into our life. And they always say um, to expats, don't make a routine. 
And because when you make a routine, people can watch your routine and then you become vulnerable. Well, it's hard for a homeschooling mom not to have a routine. And so I, you know, I thought, well, we're fine. And we really did have bars on our windows and on our doors because that's how everyone lived in Russia. Everybody had windows and that were barred and stuff. And we're on the ninth floor. So we felt very, very safe. Well, on this particular day, it was March 1st. Um, it was chilly out. What but, year was this? Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> uh, 2000 uh, 2001. One. Okay. Yes. So, so. You and I weren't friends yet. Oh, no. I think we were. I don't, were we? Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. You were on the other <laughs> side of the world. I know. I knew who you were, though. <laughs> so, but I was stalking you from afar. Yeah. No, I hadn't even written a book yet, so oh, you wouldn't no. have known. And you, you hadn't were, written a book you're yet. You're probably either. in my heart. I just <laughs> you didn't know. It. Invited me into your heart. That's I have right. a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> That's right. Okay, 2001, so, March 1st. So, March 1st, 2001. And we had, maybe it was 2002. I can't remember. But anyway, we're right around there. And we had. Um, uh, finished homeschooling for the morning and I had sent out um, the kids for, I had sent out my oldest son to walk the dog over lunch. And so I went into the kitchen and prepared lunch. And we often, since we lived on the top floor, we often left the, the door unlocked when he would go out. So he would go out and there would be a, there was a, our door and then there was a metal door and I would leave those unlocked because he was just coming right back in. So I went out to walk the dog, came back in, and I'm in the kitchen. Then I went into my office. And he came in, and I heard him, and I said, okay. And I got up to lock the door because he'd come in. And so I locked it, and I turned around, and there were three masked men standing in my foyer. No. And they had snuck in mm. during the time that David was out walking the dog, and I had not heard them. And the other three children, so we had four children at the time. We still have four children. Um, <laughs> Just to skip to the end. There's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, so, but um, but that that we had four. The other three were like playing video games or you know, playing with Legos or whatever. So they hadn't really heard anything, and you know, it was, of course, it was the front door, which was kind of down the hall. So I turned around, and there's these three masked men standing there. And the the I had a quick reaction because one of them had a metal bar, and he was swinging it at my head. So I put my hand up to ward that off and it still hit me, but I was able to protect myself and I screamed at my kids, run. Now, the only problem was I was standing in front of the only entrance to our home. So my kids were very smart. They ran to their bedroom and they ran to the back bedroom. And as my son tells it, um, what, what really ha what happened was that they ran to the bedroom and the two of the intruders ran after mm. my kids. And that was a terrible moment oh. for me because I was trying to subdue and protect myself from this person who was trying to subdue me and um, or I was trying to rather protect myself. And the and I didn't know, should I run after the kids? What what do I do? And so it was just a horrible moment. My son, my oldest son, who was 10 at the time, went to the kitchen and got a knife, which was a really bad idea because here was this huge guy that was coming after him. And he ran out and, and kind of brandished the knife. And the guy picked up the piano bench like he was going to hit my son with it. And my son, being very smart, ran back to the kitchen. And of course, he's a firstborn, so he's very organized. He put the knife back in the knife block. <laughs> thoughtful. No. Yes. And, wow. then, and then he ran back to the back bedroom where he huddled over his three younger siblings and they started to pray. Yes. So meanwhile, I don't know what's going on. I just have seen these two men run into the home. And um, and the other one is 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 um, 
subduing me, let's put it that way. And um, and and he got me into my my. I had a bedroom there, so he got me into the bedroom, and I was kind of like I was on the bed, kind of away from him, but standing up and saying, "Okay, okay, I I you know, what do you want? What do you want?" And uh, he says, "I want all your money." So. I said, well, okay, sure, no problem. We're missionaries. We don't have missionary, right? What do we have, right? Here's so, some missionary clothing, missionary yeah, barrel clothing. Right, exactly. <laughs> so he did. He did take my. Uh, he did take my diamond ring off my finger. He took my necklace and a necklace that I was wearing that was a family heirloom. So I had that, lost that, and then and then he sat me in a chair, and you know there was no sexual aggression, which was which was good. But he sat me in a chair, and I put my hands up, and he started to. They started to grab my suitcases and everything. They laid them out in the foyer and they started to put everything that we own, like electronics and everything into the suitcases, right? And so I started watching this happen and I put my hands up and the only thing I could think of was, save me, Jesus, save us. And so I just said, I just, that's all I said was, save me, save us. You just have to save us, you know? And I just kept calling on the name of Jesus. And as I sat there, it, I felt as if two hands came over my shoulders and settled on my shoulders mm. and all my fear left me. Mm. Suddenly I was at complete peace. I just, I had no fear. I just was watching this almost as if it was just something I was watching. I was completely objective, like, wow, look at them assemble my stuff. I was so <laughs> at peace about everything. And these I could feel these hands on my mm. shoulders, just mm. warm. Mm. And I know I was coherent and everything was you know at peace because the russian the they were russians that the three men one of them would run up to me and he had a knife in his hand and he would stab it at me like hold it to my neck and he'd say give me the rest of your money or you know tell me where your purse is and i would say to him in very coherent russian my purse is hanging on the door of the shelf in the closet you know or whatever and it was very you know i can hardly say it now but in english right but but it was very coherent and i was and that showed me that i wasn't I wasn't crazy. I wasn't babbling. I was incredibly at peace. So, and then he came back and asked for more money. I said, you took everything. I don't have anything else. So the a little backstory before I continue. My husband at the time was um, working at, uh, we did, we're doing a church plant, and he was also working at a Christian college there. So he was at the office, and he often came home at lunchtime because I would go to language class. But as I said, I was by this time graduated. So this was my first week graduated from class. So he didn't have to come home. But often he did. And so I was assuming that he was going to come home any moment. And one of my greatest fears was, what if he came home during this robbery? What would happen to him? Right. And um, he was, he's, you know, he was in the military, knows how to handle himself. And I thought this could go very bad. And, um, and I just thought, I don't want to watch my husband get killed in front of my eyes. So I kept praying, Lord, don't send my husband home, <laughs> but you save me instead. Yeah. Can you <laughs> so, figure this out for yes. me, Lord? Really and because I just work, didn't, but... you know, that was a fear of mine. Well, the they kept looking out. The robbers kept looking out the peephole in our door and everything. And 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 suddenly, and I and all I could do was, was pray and say, Jesus, save us. Suddenly, they looked up and they. So one of them said something in a very sort of excited tone, and they jumped and they dropped everything. And they ran from the apartment. They they still took my rings, unfortunately, but they but the rest of and our money. But they but they ran and left everything else there. And my first thought was, oh no, they saw my husband come home, and they're after him. So one of the hardest things I ever did was get up and lock the door behind them, 
because I knew I couldn't run out there. I was not a superwoman. I couldn't run out there and, and defend him, you know, and so I, I knew he'd want me to keep the kids safe. So I locked the door. I ran back to the kids. They were huddled in a room. They'd been praying, um, you know, and trying to figure out what to do if, if I was seriously injured. Thankfully, I wasn't. So I was able to take them and I put them in the bathroom because mm. that's the only place with the inner lock, mm-hmm. right? So I put right, them in right. there and they're like huddled in this tiny bathroom. <laughs> and, and then- That's not scary at all. It, yes. And, and then I picked up the phone and I know, and what had happened was when I jumped up from the chair, I had walked away from the hands. So suddenly now the panic is back. I'm, I'm f- completely freaking out. I'm completely traumatized, unraveling. I pick up the phone. I call my husband's office because I figure, well, at least they speak English there. And my husband answered the phone. And poor man, I tell you, he's, he's gone through a lot with me. But I say to him, we've been robbed. And I hang up. And you know, that's all he knows. And so then I'm thinking, what, what happened? You know, so I, I know I have to call the police, but I can't speak Russian enough to call him at this point, because everything's lost. So I run across the hall, I open up the door, kind of look out and I run across the hall to the neighbors. And I just ran into her apartment. And I said, we've been robbed in, in Russia and call the call the police or whatever and I'm completely freaking out and she's just looking at me with her eyes wide thinking what is going on and I run back into the apartment slam the door again and all I can think is how did these guys run away what 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 caused them to do that and in my mind all I think is God must have sent a giant angel, you know, to scare them. And, and, and they saw into the supernatural and ran away because I can't think of any other reason why out of the blue they would do that. So anyway, it was a terrifying situation, obviously. My neighbor ended up coming back over. The police came. When the police saw, I had a huge, huge um, bump on hematoma on my head from the metal bar and the so it didn't make contact it did make contact yeah Yeah, actually hurt my jaw I have scar scar tissue from where it hit me in my jaw too so but but I was not seriously injured and but the policeman he was like he gave me one of those universal oh that looks like it hurts kind of looks you know and it was very sweet you know the the Russian people at heart are very very kind people and very and I mean I, I found them to be very endearing and and we have dear Russian friends and so it wasn't a product of Russia you're going to find robbers all over the world so this was you know just what happened so but um but we we ended up going uh, flying out of the country and during that time I had to evaluate did I trust God enough to go back to Russia and after having that experience I realized well if he scared them away and protected us, then supernaturally, like that was the only reason I could uh, think that they ran, then yeah, I can trust him. And it was a very hard recovery process because we went back to Russia, we, we finished our term, but they never caught the guys. And so every time we went out of my apartment and when the children, we didn't, we only had to stay another six months to finish our term out, but the children would stay with me. They never left my side the rest of the summer because they were so scared. And we would go outside and we would sing hymns as a family as we went to the market and we went down to the play yard and we'd sing Amazing Grace and uh, they learned a lot of hymns, you know, and stuff. But we, but we, we kept the Lord close to us, reaching out to him at, during that summer. But God used it to, to, so what happened was that we, we ended up coming home for furlough, and during the course of that year, the Lord, 
said, I want you to stay home, basically. Um, not because of this trauma. He closed Russia, and he there were some other things that were happening in our family's life, and it, he redirected us yeah, to stay at home, which was a whole new season for us. Yeah. And what happened was that we, when we came home, we came home again with nothing because we had sold everything we owned and we left everything we had in Russia, gave it away to all of our Russian friends because they didn't have anything. So we had nothing. We had nowhere to live. We had no job. And um, we lived in a furlough house for a while and we had been given a car from someone, which was great. But we, when the Lord said to us, you need to stay home and we made that commitment, we said, now what? What are we going to do? And it's in those moments when you realize, wait, what has God already taught me? See, what happens is we never want to get in that place where we're like, I don't know what to do. I'm helpless. I'm sitting in a chair and my hands are up and I have nowhere to turn because it's a scary place to be. But that's actually a great place to be because that's when God shows up and says, I got this. Watch me work. You know, it reminds me of Moses, after he'd done all the things with Pharaoh, he's like, I don't know what else to do. And God says, just stand back and watch what I will do now. You know, and, and then God takes it from there. And, and so that's really what happened in my life. God took it from there. He moved us to a really safe place in northern Minnesota, got me involved in publishing. Suddenly now I'm writing books and, and my, my writing career, which I didn't even entertain having when I was a missionary, suddenly takes off in America because I had nothing and God did it. And so the lesson that I learned in that moment is it's okay to have nothing, to be destitute, to start in that place where you're like, Lord, all I can do is hold my hands up and call on your name. And then he says, wait and see what I will do. So what I, I think what I came away from it is that to no effort of my own, God created a way out. He saved us from the robbers. He gave us a future. And even, you know, since that time when we found ourselves, you know, like in a place where we have nothing, where we're, you know, we've, you know, I remember one time we, we, we totaled our car. We had no money to buy a new car, you know, this sort of thing. And God's like, oh, don't worry. I got a car for you. And, you know, someone shows up with a car for us. And, you know, it's not that you plan to be in that situation. You don't plan to live recklessly. That's not what we did. But we find ourselves there and it's okay. And I think that's the, the lessons that I have learned is I don't have to plan for everything and I certainly don't have to panic when I get to that place because my loving father is already there with his hands on my shoulders waiting to show me the way out, right. so to speak. So as you look back on that story and you had four kids who were in the bedroom and then the bathroom, how have they worked out that story in their own lives? I mean, some of them were mm -hmm. pretty young, but maybe mm -hmm. David and for instance? Well, I think that that was, you know, every one of my kids has gone on a different journey because of that. David uh, obviously felt a lot of guilt because he was a firstborn and he wanted to save his poor mom. And um, I wasn't that hurt, but it's hard for, you know, a 10 year old to watch his mom get hurt. And so, so that was hard for him. I think he um, had to reconcile the fact that, now of course, women, I think, come at it a little bit differently than guys do that whole helpless thing. You know, it's harder for them. And I think he had to start to realize that God loved loved him, even if he couldn't be a hero. And so that was, you know, his kind of, his kind of revelation. Sarah, um, she ended up not being able to sleep with the light off for many years and things like that, but eventually came around to it. And she realized that God had protected her. 
And um, she ended up going, one of her uh, things in college was that she went over to Prague as a foreign exchange student. And she struggled a little bit because Prague, um, Czech Republic, had been under Russian rule. And so it had Russian architecture and it reminded her of this. And she, she uh, suddenly, her, the past came back, she had panic attacks and things like that. And through that, she realized that she could rely on the Lord in her daily life to carry her and that fear doesn't necessarily go away like I had this fear that you know just went away with the hands that were on me but it came back and I struggled myself with fear for many many years you know someone even now if somebody comes up beside me too quickly I'm like what's going on you know um so but again that fear doesn't have to rule my life and and I think that's what she learned and I learned is that that fear can be taken captive. It can be given over to, to the Lord who then says, I got this. You don't need to be afraid. So for her, it's a constant, wait, did God save me once? Has he saved me since then? He will save me again. Nothing's changed. He has not changed. And I think that's something that we have to always remember is when we were in those places, we go back to the past and we say, what's my history with the Lord? What do I know about him? That, that truth back then is true today. Right. And how about the other two? Are they just so young that they didn't remember? Yeah. Um, Well, Noah was too young to remember. He's about five and he barely remembers. Petey remembers. um, He was he was seven at the time. Um, Petey struggled with more with um, going back to Russia and just fear and things like that. But he didn't struggle as much as the other, the older two who really have a vivid memory. Sure, sure. And how about your husband? Like, how did he frame this whole thing? I don't think he really realized how severe it was until we had gotten back to America um, and he, he really wanted to go back to Russia and so that was a process for me because I had to surrender that and I finally told him I will go back to Russia if actually what God said to me was do you love me enough to follow your husband back to Russia and I said yes and then God said okay great no problem I got it from here so then he had to convince Andrew not to go and the tipping point was um when we found out that there'd been another break-in in our apartment while we oh were in gosh. America. And my husband turned to me and he says, I feel like if I bring you back there, you're going to die. And I said, I know if you bring us back there, but I didn't want to be the one to say I wouldn't go. And he says, well, I'm not bringing you back. And so then the Lord did this thing with him. He worked, he, we moved us to this small little town and he was a, he was a uh, resort manager for many years and it wasn't his perfect fit. But he had to realize that sometimes God puts us in uncomfortable places um, for a reason so that, you know, never, you're never always going to be happy with what you do, but you can find contentment in it if you know that's what God has you. And now you're going to work on the things that he wants you to work on. So I think that was a growing time for him. He never felt um, like it was his fault or anything like that. He just felt like he was frustrated that he couldn't protect us and, um, but so grateful that we were okay. So, yeah. One thing that we struggled with coming back off the field and just all of the questions that that has and people ask you questions and they say insensitive things. And, but one of the things that was hard for me and maybe it was hard for you too, is that my husband was truly happy on the field, like very, like he was in, he was in his element. He was doing the thing he had trained for in seminary. And, and so when we went back home, I had 
to, I suddenly had a very sad husband, you know, who was not happy with, and then you've got all these kind of grandiose ideas about Christianity where you're like, well, we were missionaries and we were like on the upper echelon of all Christians. And now we're just boring middle income people in suburbia. And, you know, and you read books like Radical by David Platt and you think, well, I'm really not a good Christian anymore because I'm no longer on the mission. Did you ever deal with any, any of those kinds of things? Oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, my husband was, he was exactly like yours. He was, he excelled as a missionary. He was fluent. He understood Russia. He had many, many Russian friends. He was well-respected. He just was born to like live and move in Russia. And, you know, he understood how to, I mean, both of us had driver's licenses in Russia. And one of the quirks about driving in Russia is there's no lines in the road. So you just drive whatever, wherever the heck you want, <laughs> which he thought was fantastic. <laughs> so he'd drive on sidewalks and through playgrounds. And, you know, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, there's no road here. You know, so that was really fit him. Um, he struggled a lot coming home. He struggled with his purpose. Um, he struggled with, does God love him? Did he do something wrong? You know, this sort of thing. Why did we come back? I'm not good at this. That's his failure. That was a huge thing for him. And um, I think he had to get around to the fact that we, we don't have to do any one thing for, you know, I don't believe God's will is one thing. I think God's will is a, a daily obedience and a behavior. And so he kind of had to get past that and, and realize that he could be in God's will and find great contentment in the place that God had put him. And so he had to he had to kind of surrender some of his dreams and then see that God was still on his side. He still had a plan for him. And it, so, yeah, I just think every man has to go through his own soul searching and say, does God love me even if I d don't do glorious things? Right. You know? And I think that is, although I'm very appreciative of those voices in the American church that try to call us back into that radical yeah. obedience, I think there can be a swing to the other end where you begin to feel like, well, if I don't do... What if my radical obedience is loving my kids mm -hmm. and, you know, sitting down and writing a book or, uh, or you showing know, up for dinner every night when supporting your wife and and taking care of your home and sacrificing so your children can go to school. And, you know, I mean, I think that there's so many there's dignity in that. There is dignity in that. There's so many men that don't do that in pursuit of something glorious. I mean, think about the missionaries, the old day missionaries, where they'd leave their families for months at a time, you know, and their children were disasters, or maybe they weren't, but there's a sacrifice there that I'm not sure is exactly what God intended either. You know, it's like, I, you know, and I don't want to second guess some of those wonderful missionaries that went out and did these things, but but there was, you know, even for my husband, you know, he went to Moody Bible Institute, and he was like, yes, and he was so, you know, like Eric Liddell and, you know, these kind of missionaries. He's like, I want to be like that. And I'm like, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want to be left alone for <laughs> years at a time, you know. And, Have and fun so, in the Amazon. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, <laughs> get eaten by a snake. So, you know, it's, it, I think it's just, you can glorify God by just showing up and doing the thing he's called you to do, which is be a faithful husband and provider and love the Lord and, you know, invest in people and especially invest in your family, you know, so. Well, and I think, too, there's also, I mean, you definitely had a traumatic element. Mm -hmm. And I definitely had some traumatic elements when I was in France. And we cannot negate the healing that has to take place. I mean, we want to circumvent it and be like, okay, well, that happened, but I'm so strong. But tell me a little bit about your healing journey from that. Yeah, the healing took quite a while. I mean, physically, I wasn't that injured, but I was deeply traumatized. My faith was not shaken because of the way God showed up. Um, but I, I was, I struggled with, well, what do I do now? And have I failed as a missionary mm -hmm. since I'm not 
don't want to go back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that I struggled greatly with. And I wondered, did I make any impact at all over there? What am I doing? And, and I, I really felt frustrated when we didn't go back then because I thought, well, did I fail as, you know, a career missionary? Now, I, I was able to see that God has seasons in our lives. And just because that season didn't, I didn't finish the way I thought it was going to finish didn't mean that it didn't finish the way God wanted me to finish it, right? And so so I was able to see that. And then I was also able to embrace then the new season that we had and realize that actually my desire, my you know, I'd always been called to be a missionary. Now my books are all over the world, you know, in like eight different languages, you know, whatever. And I feel like maybe... Well, no, I definitely feel like God has fulfilled that calling in a different way as I surrendered all my gifts and skills. So like I kind of went into missionary life thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do to serve God. It will teach English as a second language and I will do this and blah, 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 blah. And God said, or you could do what I <laughs> Did you know you were a storyteller? <laughs> yes. Maybe you could use <laughs> you that. Could do it this way. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think when we let go of what we think is the right answer, and we move towards that. I th- and we move towards letting God take over and and just following His path. People would often say, "Well, what's your business plan? What was your plan about being an author?" I'm like, I had no business plan. I had no. I just followed the passion, and and followed where I thought God wanted me to go. And suddenly, I ended up doing all of these things. And so, um, but in terms of my healing, so my my healing was more about learning to not be afraid of going to places and that's you know more of a daily like I was talking about with with Sarah you know just sort of that you know sometimes I'm singing amazing grace you know sometimes I'm like going for a walk in a neighborhood and I get lost and I end up having to sing a hymn and asking God to protect me <laughs> and my friend shows up and brings me home so <laughs> so it could have been Mary so so anyway you know I just feel like you you have to you know for me that healing is an ongoing process of God reminding me hey I'm here I haven't left you those hands are still there you're you're fine you're gonna be fine you know so yeah so and I think too like this idea that we have and and this is kind of an embryonic thought that I have but um I remember one instance in France where there was this like 23-year-old guy who was going through a a really difficult time, and I just asked him questions, and then I asked if I could pray for him, and Mm -hmm. honestly, that is the highlight from almost three years in France. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. so simple. It's so small, and if I I look at it with human eyes, I I can't think of anything else that I did that was good there Mm -hmm. except that one moment, (laughs) and I'm sure there were others, but I remember really feeling happy that day because I was finally like living within like how I God had been gifting me in that prayer ministry and and all that to say I think a lot of times fruit comes after winter Mm -hmm. and so those times of I had I felt like I was fruitless on the field but I'm fruitful post field and I think maybe that's kind of what you're saying as well but beyond your wildest dreams you would not have thought in Russia that someday you'd have how many books you have out now Uh, 62 okay so you probably would have thought I think I'm gonna have 62 books out by the time I'm this age right yeah no not even an inkling of a thought I thought I'm gonna homeschool my children and teach English as a second language to these seven people and run a Bible study once a week in my house you know I mean really didn't I didn't really think of 
all I wanted to do was to go over there and, and obey God. But here's the thing. You go over there and you're like, okay, this is my plan, right? And I think that's the thing is that sometimes we get so wrapped up in our plans, we miss the fact that God says, but no, I just want you to be. So, you know, piggybacking on what you said about responding to this, listening to this guy and praying for him, all you did was respond to God saying, pray for this guy. Right. So what if we didn't work so hard at making plans, but instead just tried to respond to where God's already, you know, pulling us. Right. Which is the (laughs) word that God has been speaking to me for the past two years about my career, because I try all the things. I'm such a good little obeyer. I'm so good. But if I would just stop and just respond to what the spirit is saying, it's really important. Yeah, I, I think that people. Our world is geared, especially America, is geared towards let's all make plans. Let's all make great business plans and make big strategies. And especially around, you know, we're, we're kind of early in the new year here, you know, and especially around these times where it's like, okay, what are your five goals for this year? And it's like, what if you didn't have big goals, but you said, my goal was to love God more. My goal was to listen and respond. You know, my goal is to let go of all of the things and let God surprise me and show up with a big gigantic angel and scare away all the bad guys, you know? Yeah, so. I want my angel now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think if he scared away those bad guys, he'd probably be scary, scary for me yeah. too. <laughs> frightening. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who, let's just, I mean, we're, not everyone's going to have their house broken no. into. So, but like someone that's facing an uncertain future or who has experienced trauma. Yeah, I think that, you know, we all have fears, right? So, you know, it's like regardless of what it is, maybe your kid's going off to college or you're, you're in the military. I have a son who's in the Navy, you know, or, and we're like, what's going on with the future? Or maybe you've lost a job or you've, you know, your husband and you are moving or maybe your church isn't working out and you have to change churches, whatever. We find ourselves in this place where it's like, I feel like my life has been invaded and I don't know what to do. And I'm standing here and I'm looking at the future and all I can see is bad guys packing up my stuff and, and, and ripping away everything I've known, right? And so if you find yourself in that place, I feel like that's when you just stop and you say, Jesus, Jesus, you've got to fix me. This. Save me, right? <laughs> and, and here's the thing. We're so af- afraid of saying, Jesus, save me. We're like, oh, you know what? I'll tell you what. I will save myself. And then if I need you, I'll give you a call. That's kind of how we approach Jesus. We're like, I got this, you know, and we, we come somehow buy into this, the lie that God helps those who help themselves. And that's not true at all. God helps those who are on their face and falling down and broken. And, you know, he, he's not interested in our efforts. He's interested in just us saying, Lord, help, help me. And then wait. Wait for him to show up, put those his hands on your shoulders and give you peace and trust that he's going to do this. I can't tell you how many times God's gotten me out of crazy messes I've made myself. And all I've had to do is say, stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I made a gigantic mess. And he says, yep, I know. Here I am. You know, I'm going to fix this for you, you know. So, so I would say, stop panicking. Stop, pray, call out to the Lord and let him put his hands on you and fix it and save you. Yep. So as you look back in the past year, how has God restoried you? Well, I think that, you know, I, I found myself at one of those moments where it was all dark in front of me. And there, you know, when I was so my mother passed away about two years ago, and I had been with her during that long illness. Uh, they, she lived far away, but I traveled out to see her quite often. And so then she passed away. And I thought, 
and my dad was, you know, left alone far, far away. And I thought, how oh, is this going to work? And I, you know, aside from my grief, I was dealing with my father's grief and, and, and a lot of projects on my plate and thinking, how am I going to do all of this? And I remember just standing there and saying, it, it was a, right after, right before the new year, um, about a year ago. And I said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do all this. And he says, stop worrying about it and let me do it. Just do the next thing. You know, do the next thing in front of you. So he says, you know, don't try to get it all done. Just do the next thing. And so instead of creating a plan, I just said, okay, what's the next thing I need to do? Okay, the next thing I need to do is I need to, you know, call my dad. Next thing I need to do is go and work on this chapter. Next thing I need to do is, you know, fly out there. You know, whatever it was, I just started not planning it all out, but just doing the next thing that God called me to do. And a year later you know, or actually now two years later, I find myself with, you know, uh, in a place of healing. My father's in a great place of healing. I've accomplished great things, um, but I haven't been super stressed. I have been somewhat stressed about it, but that's only my fault, you know, but I've seen God just bring me through that. And again, I just thought, so again, it was just me standing in that place saying, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. You got to fix this. And him saying, don't panic, I will. And it didn't mean that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was hard. There was pain. It was grief, you know, but he was with me in all of that. So, so I've seen him kind of bring us through that and then give me a new sort of, I'm kind of walked, launching into a new season with some of my projects and stuff too. So kind of, but pulling on the things I've learned over the last couple of years of just walking through the grief and the challenges and stuff with the Lord on my, you know, kind of guiding me through. So. Yeah. That's so good, and I think it's it's a timely word for myself as well. And so, if it's good for me, I'm sure it's good for the listeners because <laughs> I'm just a big mess, and I'm sure the listeners are. I not think we're messy all, all we're all a big mess, Mary. That's the thing. We're all a big mess, and all God is mess. good all the time. He is yeah. good and big and bigger than us, yes. and uh, He's not surprised, and all of those good things. That's right. So Susie, thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show today. I'm so grateful, and I'm I'm excited for people to hear this episode. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, thank you for Susan May Warren's story of just this trauma and stress, and yet you did great things in her life, and you built new things on the wreckage of old things. And I pray that for my listeners today, that you would build new things on the wreckage of old things, that you would take trauma from the past, and you would redeem it and help us to move forward even if we have had something like that, an assault or something that has been um, difficult for us to face. So Lord, thank you that there is a great reversal and thank you for providing for them and for providing for us. I pray for provision for my friend listening today that if you're there in those places of, I don't know how to pay the next bill, I don't know how to you know, even live in the next breath. <laughs> I, I thank you that you will be the next breath and that you will provide in surprising ways. Lord, thank you that um, thank you that you're alive and well and that you answer prayer. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for uh, listeners of The Restory Show, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So today I'm recommending that you um, listen to one of Susan May Warren's novels on Audible because amazing, she's an amazing storyteller. So to download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash restory show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory show for your free audiobook by Susan May Warren. 
And if you'd like to know more about today's show, go to RestoryShow.com for the latest episode information and may you live a brand new story this week.